Today I want to focus on our epistle. Today I want to focus on a small part of our epistle. Today I want to focus on one sentence of our epistle and really almost one word. St. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Glory, (coughs) excuse me, glory is at the heart of the promises to God's children in the new covenant. Listen again. Glory is is at the heart of the promises to God's children in the New Covenant. C.S. Lewis says this in his address, The Weight of Glory, and I'll be quoting from it all through my sermon. He says, There is no getting away from the fact that this idea of glory is very prominent in the New Testament and in early Christian writings. Salvation is constantly associated with palms, crowns, white robes, thrones, and splendor like the sun and the stars. All this makes no immediate appeal to me at all. And in that respect, I fancy I am a typical modern. Glory suggests two ideas to me, he says, of which one seems wicked and the other ridiculous. Either glory means to me fame or it means luminosity. As for the first sense, to be famous means to be better known than other people. The desire for fame appears to me as a competitive passion, and therefore of hell rather than heaven. As for the second, who wishes to become a kind of living electric light bulb? Lewis has captured in his quintessentially modern has captured a quintessentially modern misunderstanding of the biblical text and with his usual linguistic verve he nails it against the wall for all to see of course we are also waiting for his conclusion about what the text is really meaning he continues When I began to look into this matter, I was shocked to find such different Christians as Milton, Johnson, and Thomas Aquinas taking heavenly glory, quite frankly, in the sense of fame or good report, but not fame confirmed by our fellow creatures. Fame with God. Approval, or I might say appreciation, by God. And then when I had thought it over, I saw that this view was scriptural. Nothing can eliminate from the parable the divine accolade, well done, thou good and faithful servant. With that, a good deal of what I had been thinking all of my life, he says, fell down like a house of cards. I suddenly remembered that no one can enter heaven except as a child. And nothing is so obvious in a child, not in a conceited child, but in a good child, as its great and undisguised pleasure in being praised. It is not untypical for moderns 
to be somewhat confused by all the reward language in the New Testament. The glory to come that we are promised to be a part of if we are faithful. It seems to many of us, contemporarily, it seems to take away from our simplistic gospel story. God loves you unconditionally and he opens up to you redemption no matter what you've done or what you might do. The parts in the scriptures in the New Testament about judgment are much more easily left unread and untaught rather than contradict the overly simplistic gospel account that we have become used to in modern America. So my friends, I ask all of us, what do we desire above all things? Do we desire the approval of God? Or do we desire the things of earth? The approval of men? The lust of the eyes? The consumption that comes so easily to a materialist and consumerist society? The fame of social media and pop Christian culture, or pop culture in general? Lewis starts this question about glory and desire at the beginning or towards the early on part of his address. He says this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us, like, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We get confused by this reward system in the biblical text in our modern era. It seems somehow, as Lewis puts it, mercenary. We are giving in order to get. I'm going to go serve you so that I can get a wonderful, nice apartment in a condo or a condo in heaven. We get confused by this, and, and I understand the confusion. I think Lewis does too. Isn't the biblical idea to give because we've already been given? Yes, of course. But keep in mind, it is the approval of God that we as children are hoping to get. The biblical idea is to get God's well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lewis gives a few examples of different kinds of rewards. Money, he says, is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage, 
is the proper reward for a real lover. And he is not mercenary for desiring it. A general who fights well in order to get a peerage, uh, to become a nobleman, is mercenary. A general who fights for victory is not. Victory being the proper reward of battle, as marriage is the proper reward of love. Now please get this point. The proper rewards, says Lewis, are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but the proper rewards are the activity itself in consummation. It's adhered to much more closely than just being tacked on. It is the activity itself in consummation is the reward. Living a life of Christian virtue, behaving like God's son, Jesus, is, to put it simply, consummated in well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lewis gives us one more example, and this one is more complicated. The enjoyment of Greek poetry, when read in the original language, boy, this is, can you tell this is a hundred-year-old example? The reward of Greek poetry, when read in the original language, is a proper reward for learning Greek, for studying the Greek language. It cannot, however, be an understandable reward for learning Greek. The schoolboy beginning Greek grammar, says Lewis, cannot look forward to his adult enjoyment of Sophocles in the original as a lover looks forward to marriage or a general to victory. You see, he just can't really get it, understand it, until he's gotten it, until he's there. It takes years of faithful, patient work to get the skill to open up the beauty of Greek poetry in the original language. I have students here, however, today that are going to understand what I say next. There is, however, a building up of desire for the beauty as the student begins to understand more and more what is in store for him. Lewis puts it this way, enjoyment creeps in upon the mere drudgery, and nobody could point to a day or an hour when the one ceased and the other began. But it is just insofar as he approaches the reward that he becomes able to desire it for its own sake. Indeed, the power of so desiring it is itself a preliminary reward. So as you get closer, students, tell me afterwards if Lewis is wrong, as you get closer to nailing down and understanding the language, you start to get little bits of reward, like, oh, wow, that was fun. Oh, see what it says. And the nuances and the differences that studying the original makes it makes a difference. 
The Christian, my friends, in relation to heaven, to glory, is in quite the same circumstance as the schoolboy. All those that have gone before us, present in the heavenly throne room and temple of God, doubtless know very well, says Lewis, says Lewis that it is no mere bribe, but the very consummation of the earthly discipleship to be there, to behold God. You and I, however, my friends, cannot know this in the same way that they know it. We can only, like the schoolboy, continue with our work, with our task, until we start to get more and more glimpses of the beatific vision that will doubtless spur us on to glory. This doesn't happen quickly. For the newly baptized, it doesn't happen quickly. Please have patience. We've got to dig in for the long haul. We have to be patient and not give up. Gradually, notes Lewis, poetry replaces grammar. Gospel replaces law. Longing transforms obedience as the tide lifts a grounded ship. So my friends, what do you desire? Lewis says that if a trans-temporal, trans-finite good is our real destiny, then any other good on which our desire fixes must be in some degree fallacious, must bear at best only a symbolical relation to, what, to that which will truly satisfy. We have in our hearts a built-in longing for eternity, for wholeness, for communion with our Creator. Nothing less will truly satisfy. Gluttonous eating will never satisfy our desires like a measured appreciation for the unbelievably, unbelievable complexity and beauty of food. Illicit sex will never satisfy our desires like the pleasures of the marriage bed. All the money in the world will never satisfy our desire for another thrill or another experience that most people cannot afford like the common humble obedience to Almighty God. Lewis begins his address with this line, If you ask 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, Unselfishness. He contrasts this with the answer of the early fathers, which would have replied, love. You might say they are the same thing. After all, to love someone, you have to be selfless. Lewis would disagree. The modern virtue of unselfishness, he argues, carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. Lewis says bluntly, do not think that this is the Christian virtue of love. 
There is much in the New Testament about self-denial. The church has spoken about it for ages. Yet self-denial for self-denial's sake is not ever seen in the pages of the Bible. Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross to follow him. The goal of self-denial is ultimately bound and found in serving and following Christ. Lewis also notes that what we find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. Allow me to end where Lewis began. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, that is, glory, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Go in peace today, my friends, and pursue the approval of God. May your desire for the beatific vision grow day by day. Amen.